Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 1 through 13, which can be found on page 844 in your Purack Bibles and on the screen that's behind me. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. There appeared to them Elijah and Moses and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say for they were terrified and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is God's word. There's a car alarm that is going off. Uh, it's a white Honda Accord, F7VY17, and feel free to uh, address that if you wish. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. This morning's sermon is, is about looking at Jesus, seeing him. When we truly see Jesus for all that he is, when we see him in all of his glory, we will treasure him above all things. But many of us don't see Jesus as he is. We misunderstand him or reinvent him as one we would like to see. The Jesus Seminar, some of you may remember, the fringe group of scholars, sought to demythologize de Jesus by color-coding Jesus' words, trying to lord it over him, saying, this is what he said, this is what he didn't say. The Da Vinci Code, blockbuster novel and movie, reimagined Jesus as a mere man who was married to Mary Magdalene. I found references to New Age followers who reinvented Jesus into their own Eastern image and even a terrorist group who likened Jesus to their members as a self-sacrificing fighter and martyr. In his book, Counterfeit Gospels, Trevin Wax categorizes a number of ways that we reinvent Jesus. He's a therapist, moralist, quietist, activist. None of us is immune to doing this. In last week's passage, we saw Peter do this. 
He was so convinced of his view of Jesus as the triumphal king come to deliver Israel in his lifetime that he rebuked Jesus for speaking about his suffering, death, and resurrection. Jesus' response to that reinvention that leaves out the gospel was, get behind you, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We need to stop. Be still. Listen, see, and accept Jesus for who he is. Exactly what the three disciples, Jesus, who went up the Mount of Transfiguration should have done. Let's pray. Our Father, through your Spirit, meet us today. May we see Jesus in all his glory. I am simply going to be speaking words. It's the only your Spirit that can bring it home, these truths home to my life and to ours. Amen. See, few of us actually see Jesus clearly. Eric pointed out in his sermon last week that Jesus' two-stage healing of the man from Bethsaida depicts a two-stage understanding of Jesus. The man was blind. At Jesus' first touch, he begins to see, he sees men like trees walking. It's only after Jesus' second touch that they see him clearly. And the disciples, who were once spiritually blind, are first given partial sight. Unlike the spiritually blind, they realize Jesus is not John the Baptist, Elijah, or one of the prophets. They realize, as Peter declares, you are the Messiah. However, even he doesn't see Jesus clearly. And that's why he rebukes Jesus when Jesus unfolds the gospel before him. In our passage, God gives Peter, James, and John a crystal clear revelation of who Jesus is. Surprisingly, we're going to see they still don't get it. And so Jesus then implies they will understand after his resurrection. So this morning we're going to look at Jesus revealed, misunderstood, and then understood. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Jesus is revealed for who he is. And we're offered God's view of Jesus, untainted by any misconceptions. Jesus is transfigured before their eyes. The word for this transformation is the word from which we get our word metamorphosis. And so an image of a caterpillar becoming a, a butterfly may come to mind. That's the level of transformation that Jesus has. 
He, he veiled his glory when he became man. On this mountain, for a moment, that veil is removed. He's visually transformed, revealing his true essence. The, Psalm 104 describes God in a similar fashion to how the disciples saw Jesus. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. The radiance and extreme whiteness of his clothes cries out divinity. He's clothed with splendor and majesty, covered with light. His glory, it's supernatural. Not of this earth. No bleach or earthly product could whiten his clothes to the degree that they saw. Only God could. Daniel Aiken, commentator, wrote, For a brief moment, our Lord's true identity is allowed to shine forth in all its glory. Here is the Christ we will see when he triumphantly comes a second time to establish his universal kingdom. The extraordinary radiance of his clothing speaks of his supernatural presence. So Jesus is joined by Moses and Elijah. Why these two? Malachi 4 gives us some insight. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This passage ties those two together. Moses represents the law. Elijah, the prophecies which point to Jesus, point to the Messiah. Jesus fulfills both. As the three of them are talking, Moses and Elijah are not the teachers. Jesus is. And Luke informs us in his account of the transfiguration that Jesus is teaching them the gospel that he's about to accomplish. He is a greater Moses, a greater Elijah. If you understand the book of Hebrews, it expands on the theme of Jesus' preeminence. It speaks of Jesus' supremacy above the angels, Joshua, the Mosaic law, the priesthood, the sacrificial system, the tabernacle, and the old covenant. Jesus stands above everything. He is higher than anyone as heaven is above the earth. That's what they're seeing. Then after Peter inserts himself into the middle of the scene, and we'll cover that in the next point, we read, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. I wouldn't have liked to have been in Peter's shoes. God confronted him. Peter, you still don't get it. This is my beloved son who stands before you. Accept him for who he is. Listen to him. See, this revelation is not about what Peter's should do. It's about beholding Jesus 
and listening to him. Christ speaks the truth that should inform our values, shape our worldviews, and direct our lives. Everyone has his or her own opinion about who Jesus is. But only one opinion really matters. God's. And he made his opinion perfectly clear on the mountain. Then Elijah and Moses disappear. The disciples no longer see anyone but Jesus only. That's the message of our passage. It's what the mountaintop experience teaches us. See only Jesus. Don't let the world, your personal experiences, the voices you hear around you or your feelings mold your view of who Jesus is. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So Jesus is revealed, but he's still misunderstood. As they ascend the mountain, Peter, James, and John, they, they saw Jesus hazily, like the bland, blind man who saw men like trees a-walking. But now he sees Jesus in his shining, radiant glory. And now we expect, we expect Peter to accept Christ as he is clearly revealed, but instead it's evident from his response that he hasn't shaken his misunderstanding. We read his response in verses 5 and 6. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. We all would be. Isaiah had a similar reaction when he saw God sitting high and lofty on his throne surrounded by cherubim crying, holy, holy, holy. He was terrified and responded, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In light of God's holiness and glory, Isaiah realized he was a sinner who deserved God's judgment. His only hope was a sacrifice for his sin. That's not Peter's response. Although he's terrified, he doesn't say, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He continues to call Jesus rabbi. Now, it's a term of respect, but it falls far short of the appellation that Jesus deserves. Peter's response should have mirrored Isaiah's confession, woe is me, or perhaps he should have taken off his shoes in the presence of holiness as Moses did, or bowed down before him as Joshua did. But this mistake is repeated 
often today. Many look at Jesus and only see a rabbi. They value his teaching, but fail to acknowledge his rightful place in their lives as their holy Lord and Savior, deserving to be worshipped and treasured. So, Peter wants everyone to get busy. Let's make three tents. In his mind, following Jesus is about is more about doing for Jesus than beholding him. More about our activity than knowing him. I am regularly guilty of this. How many of us are? There's a pastor who shares his experience with a group of Laotian refugees in their first Bible study. After we read a passage in which Jesus calms the storm, I asked them about the storms in their lives. There was a puzzled look. So I elaborated. We all have storms, problems, worries, troubles. And this story teaches us that Jesus can give us peace in the midst of those storms. So what are your storms? Again, more puzzled silence. Finally, one of the men hesitantly asked, do you mean that Jesus actually calmed the wind in the sea in the middle of a storm? And I replied, yes, but we, we shouldn't get hung up on the details of the miracle. We should remember that Jesus can still the storms in our lives. Another stretch of awkward silence ensued until another replied, well, if Jesus calmed the storms and the wind and the waves, he must be a very powerful man. At this, they all nodded vigorously and chattered excitedly to one another. In Lao, except for me, the room was full of awe and wonder. I suddenly realized that they grasped the story better than I did. They saw Jesus only. Although Jesus is the only one clothed in radiant, incomparably white garments, Peter proposes to make tabernacles for all three as though they're equal. Moses and Elijah deserve Peter's respect, but they're not on par with the one whose divinity is shining before their eyes. Peter is either elevating them to Jesus' level or he is lowering Jesus to theirs. It's a mistake common to every generation. We either raise other religious leaders to Jesus' level or we lower Jesus to their level. Jesus and no one else is the divine Son of God. His words should be listened to above every philosophy or religion. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life as the Father declared, listen to him. Let's not misunderstand or reinvent Jesus. As Jesus and his disciples leave the mountain, it's evident they still don't see Jesus clearly. Verses 9 and 10. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. 
So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Peter, James, and John are still scratching their heads when Jesus mentions he's going to rise from the dead. They are clueless as to what he meant. They're still clinging to their reinvention of Jesus as that Messiah is not going to suffer, die, and be raised. But they will understand after his resurrection. That's why they keep silent until then. See, George, Jesus charged them. No one, tell no one about their experience until after he's raised. Why? Because we only fully understand Jesus in light of his resurrection. If his transfiguration was to be known at that time, it would have been used to reinforce the mistaken view about Jesus as the champion to free Israel from its oppression. Can you imagine what Peter would have said when he came down from the mountain, gathered all the other disciples and said, you can't believe what we saw. Jesus was transformed before us and Moses and Elijah was there. This confirms our view about Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the champion. He is going to deliver us. Oh, they needed to see suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus to understand who he is. How many people leave that out? They'll never understand Jesus. It's only after Jesus' resurrection that they comprehended what was happening on the mountain. The disciples were later given new glasses which allowed them to see Jesus not only as king, but as savior. The resurrection will transform their perspective and anyone else's perspective. Fifty days after Jesus' death, Peter, who publicly denied Christ when he was arrested, publicly declared, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it's not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He, therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God. Now, Peter got it. He had a revolutionary change in his understanding. Christ's resurrection should change everyone's perspective about him. Without the resurrection, Jesus is a false Messiah, failed. He's shamed by the religious leaders and executed by the authorities he was supposed to overcome. Without the resurrection, Jesus is at best an esteemed teacher who is a model of sacrificial love. We should be inspired by his teaching and his life 
That's all he offers. Remove the resurrection and we still face the judgment of God. Remove the resurrection and Christians are a blight on society for our fear-mongering about hell. The Apostle Paul wrote, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, they've perished. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has been raised. When we look at Jesus through the lens of the resurrection, we see a divine humility that is incomparable. Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. We see a sacrificial love that's incomprehensible. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we see a victorious Lord who is exalted above everyone and everything. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What do you see when you look at Jesus? Are you blind to who he is, rejecting or marginalizing him? Do you see him hazily, reinventing him as you'd like to see him? Or do you see him clearly as our resurrected Savior and Lord, giving him his rightful place in your life and treasuring him above all things? Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for that image that we were able to see secondhand. But it is so powerful, such a powerful revelation of who you are. May we learn the lesson of the Mount of Transfiguration. See Jesus only. Let us turn our eyes upon Jesus and give him the honor and glory due his name. Amen.